Red Rocks Church. How are you guys doing? We ready for a great weekend of church? I love it. Let's do this. Let's greet everyone at our other campuses, Lakewood, Evergreen, Arvada, across the pond in Brussels, Belgium. We love you guys. Everyone watching on Facebook and podcast and all the other stuff we have nowadays. Thank you for technology, uh, Lord. And of course, you know what's next. Let's give such a gracious round of applause for all of our men and women at God Behind Bars. We love you guys so much. So much. Such an honor to worship with you guys. Uh, Next week, as you guys already know, is an incredibly important week for us in the body of Christ. It is our Super Bowl, as we call it. It's Easter, and it's going to be incredible. I've been working with Sean and talking to Sean about uh, the message next week and all of the components that are going to come around it. And I promise you, it's hard for me to admit because it's Sean, uh, but I'm going to admit it. Uh, If you're visiting, Sean's my boss, and I'm his hero. And so we have a weird... (laughs) working dynamic. And so keep praying for us all the time to make this work. But uh, it's going to be just incredible. It's going to be a a place where you're going to be proud to bring a visitor, to to bring a friend. And it's going to be a place where we do nothing other than unapologetically and passionately lift up the name of Jesus Christ and all he's done for us. And it's just going to be a time for us to come and get our eyes off ourselves and celebrate. And so I just want to challenge you, man. You have six more days or so uh, to invite someone, to ask someone, to put yourself out there and just see what God up to in other people's lives and what he can do in the Denver metro area. We good with that? Good. Our theme verse for this series, if you're visiting with us, we have uh, started this series the first week of January and we have not quit it. And I actually had a friend of mine named Haley tweet me earlier today and she said, oh, you know Haley. Okay. Oh, hi Haley. Uh, Tweeted me earlier today and said something to the effect of uh, how awkward when it's 2018 Christmas and we're still in the Live Free series. And I just, I had a good laugh from that and I just wrote back. I wrote awkward slash awesome, right? Because has, has this been a good series? Like, hey, if we're going to wear a subject out, let it, let it be about our freedom that we have in Christ, right? And we have a theme verse. Again, if you're visiting with us, it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And the Apostle Paul says this, such a beautiful statement about our faith. He says, it is for, and here's the word, freedom that Christ has set us free. No ulterior motive, no other purpose. It's simply for freedom that Christ has set us free. He says, so stand firm in that. In other words, that's going to be contested. That freedom is going to be under attack because Jesus told us you have an enemy of your soul. Every day you take your head off your pillow, right? There is a thief who wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. So Paul says, listen, Jesus has done everything for you to walk in a lightness of feet and a lightness of soul. He's done everything on the cross for you to be in total freedom, but you're going to have to take it. Okay, you're going to have to stand firm and don't let yourselves be burdened again, he says, by the yoke of slavery. So we're going to do this before we start. We're going to pray. We're going to yet again ask God to be the Lord over this. You don't want us to be in charge of this thing. Trust me, we barely know what we're doing. We want God every time we show up at our campuses to do something powerful through his Holy Spirit that only the Holy Spirit can do. Can we pray together for that? God, I ask in the name of Jesus that your power and your presence would 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 just be here in such a sweet way. God, we with great privilege call you Lord, Savior. 
Jesus, we call you King of Kings, the name above every name that at that name, every knee someday is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess that you are Lord. And so we want that to happen on this side of eternity as much as possible. So God, would you continue to bring people through the doors of our church that need to hear about the saving, beautiful gospel message of Jesus Christ. Now, Holy Spirit, we put this service in your hands. Holy Spirit, we give this time over to you and we ask you to just be a sweet and precious Lord over us. And Jesus, it's in your name we pray. And everyone at every campus said, amen. Amen. I'm going to start with a question for all of you guys at every campus. It's not rhetorical, meaning you're going to answer it to the person on the right of you or to the left of you. But I'm going to ask the question. And before you answer it, I'm going to give you some ground rules. The question is simply this. What is the single most attractive quality that you find in another human being? The single most attractive quality that you find in another human being. Now, here's the rules. If you're married and you came with your spouse, don't look away from them and tell the other person, tell your spouse. Cause I know how this works. I, I know how the devil works because nobody fights more with their spouse than on the way to church. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's Murphy's law, right? And that's actually an unintended compliment from hell. You understand that? Like I know I've done this hundreds of times where you're doing the dad drive and you're swinging in the back seat with your kids and you're furious at your wife because she's still putting on makeup and you're literally about to pull into church and you're already late. Just my wife. Awesome. Okay. She's not here at this service, thank God. I know what it's like to walk in holding her hand and you're smiling and you're pointing and you're like, Bob, Stan, Bill, what's up? And then the greeter says hello and you're like, how you doing? And you're like, too blessed to be stressed. And your wife's like, whatever, this guy's a jerk, right? And you're like squeezing her hand and you're like, it's so on after church. I know that game. I've played that game. It's, it's an unintended compliment from hell because the devil's nervous that maybe a little more freedom is on the way for you and your family. And you're coming to a place where we come together to worship Jesus. And so that's it. Look at your spouse. If you're dating or not married yet, you don't have to worry about it. So let's have some fun. Do this. Find someone at your campus that you would like to talk to. Get up out of your seat during this question and go tell them the most attractive quality you find in a human being. And then give them a big old kiss after that. Just big old kiss. I'm kidding. Don't. We, have, we literally have security protocol for that. Don't do that. That will, that will not go well for you. Okay, at every campus, let's do this. Let's do this. Look at the person on the right or the left of you and tell them the single most attractive quality that you find in another person. Go. I like it. Some good conversation here at Littleton. I don't know how it's going at the other campuses. I almost don't want to stop it. We're having a good talk here. Okay, we're going to stop it. We got to get going. I'll tell you mine, and I'm going to give you my top five, and I'm going to end with right now, as I get older, they always evolve, uh, what I'm interested in people and what I find attractive in the qualities of human beings. But uh, for one, would definitely, and it's always been just a generous, spirited person, man. I, I wrote my notes, generosity's hot. Ladies, gentlemen, you want to be attractive to other people, like for the right reasons, for the real reasons, generosity is hot, man. 
being a, a person that just gives, it's just a, it's just a beautiful thing. I wrote kind heartedness, just good old fashioned kindness. You guys remember that? I know it's 2018 America. We're not exactly known for kindness right now, but there's this fruit of the spirit. And I think it might just be the single most underrated fruit of the spirit that we are possessing and have the ability, which is just, just kindness. I see kindness now. And because it's become unfortunately more rare, it's just a beautiful thing. Not just kindness, uh, passion. I wrote, I'm a passionate person. And so when I get around people that have a zest for life and a zest for what they're doing, and when they wake up and they want to attack the day, and when they believe in something that's worth fighting for and they sacrifice to fight for it, I love passionate people. That's always been on the top of my list. Uh, this is probably the number one attribute why I was so attracted to my wife. It's, it's this thing called innocence, purity. And I know that's not all our story because that wasn't my story, but I have just always been fascinated with people that just walk in this beautiful sense of innocence and purity. I think a lot of it is because I never have. And so I'm always in trouble. Wherever there's trouble, I'm right there. And when I laid eyes on my wife, before we ever had a conversation, there was just something in my heart where I could just feel that this was just a beautiful, pure woman of God. And so I just love when somebody has this ability to just walk in this purity. The Bible says in James that the wisdom Wisdom from heaven is first of all pure. And I love that. And so that's one. But right now, as I'm at this phase of life and I know what I know about this world and I know what I know about myself and I know what I know about Jesus and his kingdom, by far right now, the number one most attractive thing that I find in other human beings is this one word and it's this, it's confidence. Any of you say confidence? Any of you, was that your thing? Not too many of you. Okay, we have an insecure church. We'll talk about that. <laughs> in our live free, I'm kidding, kind of, but we will talk about it. Um, and when I say confidence, that can be confusing because at this phase of life, I'm not talking like Tiger Woods, red shirt on Sunday confidence, although I love that, and Tiger's back. This is gonna be a fun golf season. I can't wait. I'm not talking about, thank you, one golf fan. I'm not talking about Michael Jordan, give me the ball. I wanna hit the bucket or miss the bucket type confidence. Trust me, I love that kind of confidence. I'm not talking about Conor McGregor getting in the ring and telling you how he's gonna beat you up before he beats you up. All that's fun and good. But I'm talking about a completely otherworldly type confidence. And I would just call it this. I'd call it a quiet confidence, right? Because here, here's what insecurity masked in, in, in confidence is. It's just turning up the volume. You ever get around people? that they're so insecure, they, they try and show you that they're confident by just getting louder all the time, right? Or there's this guy, there's, th this one drives me crazy, the one-upper guy, you know what I'm saying? He always one-ups any story, any anecdote, any more, uh, moment, halfway through he cuts you off and tells you his much more awesome situation, and it's almost always a guy. There may be some girls out there I just haven't ran into you yet. It's almost always a guy, and if you're like, I don't, I don't know that guy, then <laughs> So, you got, man, you got to think about some stuff today. Got to pray about some things, man, self-awareness and such. When I say quiet confidence, let me tell you exactly what I'm talking about because we're about to see the master in action today. When I'm talking about quiet confidence, I'm talking about Jesus standing before Pilate and Pilate going, would you please speak up? Do you not realize I have the power to save you? I have the power to have you killed. Would you please speak up? And Jesus is literally like, no, I'm cool. You actually don't have the power to do anything unless God lets you have it. So whether I get saved or whether I get crucified, God's in control, we're good. 
And, and Pilate doesn't know what to do with it. So he walks out and says, this guy's fine. I see no reason to crucify him, right? And then Israel still says, no, we want to we wanna crucify him. But that's the type of quiet confidence. It's this confidence where the savior of the world breaks endless rules that they had created in their religious system. And he starts meeting with people that he's not supposed to get near. He starts eating with people that he's not supposed to eat with. And he doesn't just eat with them. He endorses them, not all of their behavior, but he endorses the fact that they bear his image. He's a God in his quiet confidence that although he's wanted everything and victory is always his all of the time before, now, and forever, he is victorious victorious, but he never makes you feel like he's got to win. He just makes you feel like you're important. And as I get older, I want that kind of confidence, not the confidence where you got to strut, not the confidence where you got to prove something to people, not the confidence where you got to outdo somebody else. So everybody thinks you're amazing. I want a confidence that is otherworldly. But you cannot have that when you are not free. And so we are about to get, I'm not kidding you, a master class in quiet confidence. We're about to see freedom put on such display by Jesus. I absolutely love this narrative in the gospel. So if you have your Bible, go with me to John. We're going to be in chapter 13. I'm going to do my best to get through 17 verses. But if you've been here for more than a week, we'll probably get through about five. And it'll still be too long. Help me, Jesus. John chapter 13, this is the Passover meal. This is famously called, and it's, it's written about in all the four gospels. This one in John is a little different than the other three gospels, but this is the Passover meal. So this is roughly, if you're new to the Bible, this is uh, roughly four days before Easter. Four days before what we're about to celebrate next week. Four days before the pinnacle moment of our faith, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. I love this next statement. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that Jesus is good at finishing as he is starting. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now I want you to listen to this next verse because we're gonna camp on this thing because this, this tells us everything we need to know about freedom and everything we need to know about quiet confidence. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God. So what's he do? He does something that is literally otherworldly. In the next few minutes, we're going to look at it. What's he do? He does something in the next few minutes that is unheard of in the ancient world. He literally does something in the next few minutes that rewrites the rules that we had had prior to this of human engagement. He does something in the next few minutes that we're going to read about that spits in the face of common sense and spit in the face of common practice 2,000 years ago. And can I just remind us, this is always what the gospel does. The gospel will always at first spit in the face of common sense. There is nothing sensical about the gospel compared to the way the rules of this world and the rules of engagement act. Jesus is about to do something crazy. And the reason why verse three is so important is because it tells us exactly why Jesus with such quiet confidence is about to shake the world with doing, by doing something no one in his position has ever done before in the history of the world, at least not that we have recorded. And the reason Jesus is able to do that, let's read verse three again. It says, because Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. Jesus knew whose he was, the father's. He knew he was the son of the father. 
He knew that the father had told him some things about his power and about his authority. So Jesus just didn't know whose he was, but Jesus knew because of whose he was, Jesus knew who he was. But then it also says this, I love this. He knew that he had come from God and he knew that he was returning to God. So Jesus knew, let's think about this, four things to freedom right here. Jesus knew whose he was, therefore he knew who he was, complete confidence. He knew where he came from and he knew where he's going. And when you know those four things well, with deep-seated confidence, when that is the makeup of our DNA through the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what you get to do? You start doing radical things that shake the world like we're about to see Jesus do. You know whose you are, you know who you are, you know where you came from and you know where you're going. Can I just remind you that you are an image bearer of God? Can I remind you whose you are? Whether you're saved or unsaved, the minute you were born, you immediately became an image bearer of God, which means God has a vested interest in you from the minute you were born. You bear his image. Do you know the Bible says, this is where you came from, just so you you need to know if you don't know. The Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. While you were in your mother's womb, God was fearfully and wonderfully knitting you together. The Bible says this about where you came from. God literally knows every hair that's on your head. Every one of them down to the last one. The Bible literally, I read it this morning in Psalms 56, literally says that God stores up in a bottle as a memorial to the plight of humanity. God stores up in a bottle every tear that you and I will ever cry. He is deeply invested in humanity, saved and unsaved. The minute anybody of any color, any race, any creed, any country is born, they are instantly bearing the image of God. And I know what some of you are thinking, well, how come there's so many evil people? We can't call them image bearers of God. Yes, you can, because that's what they were born as. Now, it's not till the second birth that you go from image bearer to son and daughter. And that's when it gets fun. That's when freedom starts to happen because once you're son and daughter, the Bible also says in Ephesians 1, you know, we did a whole series on it. You're also a saint. You're also holy. You're also blameless. You're also sealed in the Holy Spirit. You're adopted with the full rights of a son and a daughter. In other words, you have authority, just like it said, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. The Bible says you now sit with Christ in the heavenly realms. That's not some weird churchy verse that makes it all ethereal. That's a statement of authority. You and I, because of what Jesus has done for us, and because we're not just in Christ, but we're co-heirs with Christ, we have the same authority and power to do what we're about to read Jesus is going to do, and it's awesome. Usually when we think of authority and we talk about our authority, we're always thinking about it in ways and in terms of how we can exercise our authority over other people. But Christ never came to do that. He came to use his authority to serve other people, not lord it over them. That's why he said in another talk, the greatest among you will be a servant. Authorities come and they want to lord it over the people and they want to be the big show. And Jesus says, I'm the biggest show ever to be on planet earth and I'm not here to do anything other than to serve people. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew where he came from. But then let's talk about this. He also knew where he was going. And the modern church, myself included, I take responsibility for this. We are awful about preaching about the future hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We forget all too often that uh, a great Easter passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, when you die, guess what you're getting someday? Brand new body. 
and it is going to be incapable of corruption or destruction. You are going to be sin-free for an eternity. Temptation is not going to be possible for an eternity. The Bible says where we're going after we breathe our last, there's no death, there's no mourning, there's no crying, there's no pain. It says because the old order of things will have passed away. You're going to live for an eternity in a perpetual state of godly bliss. Sin won't be an option. Destruction won't be an option. Unity is going to be perfected. There's not going to be backbiting and slandering and all of this fighting. And there's not going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's not going to be sickness and disease. We literally have this in store for us for an eternity. And when you really start to fix your eyes, not on what's seen, but on what's unseen, what starts to happen is you can start to really live this quietly confident life like Jesus has. And you can start doing some of the stuff that Jesus did. So because he knew whose he was, And because Jesus was so aware of who he was, because he fully understood where he came from and he fully understood where he was going back to, look what it says he does next. He gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, which is a complete rabbinical no-no, unheard of in the ancient world for a rabbi in public to take out his outer garment. That was the type of uh, stuff that slaves would do. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin. Think about this. And he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I read one theologian this week by the name of D.A. Carson who literally said, there is no other recorded or known moments in the ancient world where a superior like Jesus would wash the feet of a subordinate. He didn't say there's some, we can only find a few. D.A. Carson literally said, we, we don't have any instances like this literally in recorded history. This was literally at the time the lowliest task that someone could do. It was so lowly in the Jewish world. I read another commentary a long time ago that said sometimes if a Jewish uh, master and a Jewish slave had a really good relationship, which oftentimes was the case, they wouldn't even let their Jewish slaves wash the feet of their guests for dinner. They would hire a lowly Gentile, God forbid, who needed to make some money, bring them into their home for this party or this dinner party, and they would have them wash the feet because it was such a lowly task. And now we have, guess who? The creator of feet. (laughs) Gets out his towel, takes off his robe. The creator of feet. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, the name above every name. And he gets down and it's not just the fact that he's washing feet, it's the type of feet that he's washing. You guys know the story of the disciples because they're just like us, right? That's why I love that Jesus picked him because they represent us. I picture him getting down and he starts to wash Thomas's feet. And we know Thomas's story. If you've been in church for very long, he's full of doubts. He's full of skepticism. And some of you, you walk into our campuses and you're in that same spot right now. You want to believe. There's some very attractive qualities that keep you hanging around just like Thomas kept hanging around for three years. But you just can't buy into that whole, like, he's the way, the truth, the life. Like, there's no other pathway to God other than Jesus. I understand why that's hard to accept in the world we live in. I get it. But who cares if I get it? Guess who really gets it? So much so that at the height of Thomas's doubt and skepticism, Jesus is gladly on his knees washing his feet. 
And Jesus said this. You have to remember this during this scene so we don't pass over it too quick. Jesus said in other places, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Jesus says, if you've heard anything you've heard from me, all I'm doing is speaking on behalf of my Father. If you see me do anything that's impressive or frustrating or intellectually offensive or that like this spits in the face of common sense, just know this. I'm only doing what the Father tells me to do to show you a picture of this unseen father. So when Jesus is down there and he's wiping and he's washing in this beautiful moment of of dignity for Thomas, he's washing his feet before the Passover meal. Do you know what he's saying? Skeptics welcome. Doubters welcome. Your doubts are okay in the house of God. Your skepticism is okay in the house of God. The message is just keep following me. We'll get there. Just keep coming back to the house of God where the truth is preached. We'll get there. Take your time though. Jesus knew that Thomas, even after he died on the cross, conquered death, saw him would still demand that he saw the scars in his hands and might still have questions after that. Jesus knew that and he didn't pull the towel back and go, okay, wait, you're out. No, he washes his feet. And then he goes down the line to, let's say, James and John. And, and, and we know from the Gospels that James and John were called the Sons of Thunder. That's a cool tag team wrestling name, Sons of Thunder. <laughs> and James and John were probably pretty intense fellas getting that name. But one thing they always did is they were always in competition and they were always fighting about who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They, they were the guys that, that tried to be confident, like I talked about earlier, by just turning up the volume. That's what thunder is, right? It doesn't hurt anything. It's just loud. And that's what James and John are. They're competitive. They're in it for all of the wrong reasons. They had their mom, don't you hate this coaches when the parents come up and try and tell you how to do your job? They had their mom come up to Jesus once and ask if they could sit at the right hand and the left hand of the throne of God. Like that's James and John just completely probably great hearts and we know that we know the ending to their story we know that they ended up as martyrs in the kingdom of God we know that these are saints and incredible men of God but in that moment and the time they spent with Jesus wasn't real great and Jesus gets down and it's his pleasure to bring dignity to them before dinner by washing their feet and we all walk in here let's be honest come on man this is church we all walk in here as mixed bags of motives We all walk in here really loving Jesus and really, really loving ourselves. And sometimes those two conflict, do they not? We walk in here sometimes just selfishly wanting to be it, the man, the woman, the thing, right? And Jesus knows that, but he also knows how much this type moment where he shows them dignity when they least deserve dignity, he knows that it's gonna change their hearts and eventually these would be martyrs for the kingdom of God. So he gets down and he graciously and gladly cleans their feet. Now it starts getting real froggy. We got someone like Matthew. You don't know Matthew's story. Matthew, here's what he represents for us, church. He represents all of our past failures and regrets. And I don't know about you, but I got a truckload of them. I got a long list of past failures and regrets. And, and Matthew could have easily held on to those and lived by those and let those things determine and dictate his lack of confidence in Christ. But Christ does this such dignifying, gracious thing. He gets down and he starts to, to, to wipe his feet. Do you, remember, do you remember what Jesus did with Matthew when he was at the height of extorting his own people? He looked at him one day when he was out collecting taxes and stealing from his own people and said, come on, come follow me. That's what grace is, Red Rocks Church. It's restoring dignity to people before they deserve dignity. This is the gospel. It's a restoration of dignity before you deserve dignity. And Jesus looked at Matthew at the height of his rebellion, 
as an extorter and a fraud. And he says, hey man, come and follow me. And Matthew's followed him. So Jesus at this point is wiping and washing his feet, the creator of feet. And you know what he's saying to you and me? Your past failures. I have washed white as snow. I have thrown them as far as the east meets the west. They have been tossed into the sea of forgetfulness. That's the type of savior we have. That's the quiet confidence you can walk in. That's the type of incredible service you can give to humanity, knowing that they're gonna screw you over sometimes, knowing that they're gonna betray you sometimes, knowing that they're gonna deny you sometimes. That's what happens when you are fully free as a human being. You can look past all that and you can serve humanity. You can be an agent of grace that is constantly in the business of restoring dignity back to people before they deserve it. He washes the feet of Peter, right? And here's what's crazy. If Matthew represents maybe our past, Peter, Peter represents future sins. Because Peter's greatest sin is less than 24 hours away. And later on in the meal, Jesus is about to tell him about it. Peter's like, no way, man. I would never sin against you like that. And he's like, oh, you're going to do it three times in a row in less than 24 hours. He's like, no way, never. And Jesus goes, because he's quiet and confident. Jesus goes, okay. And Jesus gets down and it's his honor to wash the feet of someone who hasn't even committed their biggest sin yet. Come on, church. Some of you, the, the greatest sin you will commit against other people and against God won't be pre-Christ, it will be post-Christ. Some of you walk in and you're sitting under the weight of that right now. And can I just tell you this? Well, he's not excusing maybe some behavior. He is willing to get on his knees and always wipe your feet because you bear his image. He's always willing to restore back to you dignity before you deserve it. And I hope some of you get freer than that, that, that walk in here and have just committed maybe one of the biggest mistakes of your life. And then here's the one that I can't even fully talk about because I don't even theologically, it's still mysterious to me. But Jesus, knowing that Satan, the Bible says, in all four gospels had already entered Judas, Judas would be the final catalyst to put Jesus on the cross, knowing that Satan had already done that for Judas, he gets on his hands and his knees and he starts to wipe the feet of someone that wasn't even on his team, someone that would never be on his team. He begins to wipe the feet of the ultimate betrayer, right? Judas Iscariot. And I, 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 I picture him doing that, and I, I picture those guys remembering that teaching that just, it seemed like Jesus was just having a crazy day when he said, you've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus taught that several years ago, and now he's proven it when he knows what, what kind of heart Judas has, and he gets on his hands and his knees, and he starts to clean the feet of the person that was actually going to have him put on the cross. You want to talk about quiet confidence? Most of us right now are going, that's not quiet confidence, that's stupidity, I refuse. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Listen to me, I'm glad you're intellectually offensive. I, I am, but listen, this eggs me on to go, it's possible. We can walk in that kind of power. We can walk, Red Rocks Church, in that kind of graciousness. We don't have to fight the world. We don't have to get our way all the time. And if there's ever a time that the American church needs to hear this, listen to me, it's now. I'm prophesying in the name of Jesus that we don't need to be a people in this country anymore that's fighting to always get our way and fighting to always make sure everyone knows that we're right. What the world needs to see from us is people that regardless of if we agree about the same things or we believe the same or we, we morally act the same, uh, that we, instead of fighting people and throwing punches back and forth at each other 
It's exhausting. Instead, we get down and say, it would be my honor to wipe your feet. It would be my honor in any way I can, although we fundamentally oppose each other and don't look alike or think alike or act alike or talk alike or dress alike or vote alike. It would be my absolute honor to restore some dignity to you in the name of Jesus for the glory of Jesus when you least deserve dignity. That's what we're called to do. That's what people of the towel do is we get on our hands and our knees and we fight for people. And sometimes we love them and sometimes they're gonna end up being on our team and on our side and they're gonna be in our community and sometimes they're gonna be your ultimate betrayers. But Jesus says, through the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the power to even clean the feet of your betrayers on this side of eternity because guess what? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, it makes no sense. Yeah, on paper it seems stupid, but you have an endless eternity where none of this is gonna be a problem. So right now, let it be our problem. Right now, let, let how we serve people that don't know Jesus yet, let their problems be our problems. Let's go find them and let's get on our knees. And let's, let's, let's let a little dignity come away from us to give them some dignity. Let's, let's take some losses maybe for some other people's wins knowing that the, the winner in the end is Jesus. Let's show people a grace that's so otherworldly and radical. And when Jesus does it, he doesn't just say, aren't I awesome? You know what he ends up saying? He ends up saying, now you go do it for other people. Let's read verse six. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? I picture Peter going like, theologian D.A. Carson said, this has never happened in the history of the world. Like, you know, just seeing if you're still awake. Jesus replied, you do not realize now, this is grace right here. This is grace right here. And this is why grace is so tough for us crazy humans because it is a lifelong process. Do you see what Jesus says? You don't have a clue what I'm doing right now. Later, you'll understand. Peter, you're, I'm, I'm washing your feet. You're completely intellectually offended by it. You've never seen anyone in my position ever do this for their subordinate like you. And so you're calling me on it. But Peter, right now, this isn't even going to work. Let's get a lesson in grace. This is so important. Right now, Peter, I'm going to do this amazing act of kindness to you. And and you're still 24 hours now going to commit your worst sin against me. And that's okay, he says. You don't understand right now the power of what I'm doing, but someday you will because some decades later, the apostle Peter, if I read history books right, gets on a cross because he wouldn't deny Jesus and says, crucify me upside down. That's the power of grace, but grace is a seed that gets thrown into soil and it takes time and we don't like time, do we parents? We want the minute we tell our kids to do something, we want them to get it immediately, right? And it just, it sounds great and I want that. It just doesn't work. That's not how humans were designed. So Jesus says, listen, you, you don't realize what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, okay, but unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, grace is the only plan for salvation. Me cleaning you when you least deserve it. Me cleaning you even though I'm superior and you're subordinate. Me cleaning you even though I'm king of kings and you're just an image bearer who's gone astray. It has to happen. There is no other plan than grace. God doesn't have a plan B. It's either he cleans us when we least deserve it or nothing. 
And Peter finally gets it, and I love Peter. He's all over the place, man. He says, Lord, then, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's like, just dump a bottle of water over me. I want to be in. Peter loves Jesus so much, and Jesus answered him, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. Band, you can come out. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And then he says to us, Red Rocks Church, do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, because that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I love that. Not just truly, like, like he's going, please listen to this. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He's given us science here. Not philosophy, not theory, that science. He's saying, very truly, I tell you, this is, as, this is as, as true as gravity is. You will never walk in the fullness of freedom by just getting your feet washed. At some point, you have to become a foot washer. The first, the entry point to freedom is letting Jesus wash your feet. But the final manifestation of freedom is be now passing it on. That's what Jesus says. The highest form of freedom in here isn't gonna just be what God delivers us from and takes us from. It's gonna be what he calls us to. Sean said it last week. We're not just freed up from something. We're freed for something equally, right? It's beautiful when God frees us from something. I never get old of hearing all the testimonies during baptism time and all the stories of our awesome people in Celebrate Recovery of all the things that God has um, delivered them from because I'm a product of that. I love, it never gets old. But you know what else gets me fired up? Watching people who have been delivered from something now delivered for something. And this is what we've been delivered for. And we all have different ways of doing it. So we don't need to give a bunch of examples. You're all adults, you get it. All of our towels look different. But here's what we're ultimately, no matter what you do, what job you have, what kind of family you have, how you grew up, how much money you make or don't make, we are all called to be radical dispensers of dignity to people who don't yet deserve it. It's called grace. That's our job. And we've taken on so many jobs that God never asked us to take on that are for the role of the Holy Spirit. All God says is this, I've given you the power to, to be in people's lives that will shock other people that you would be in their life. I've given you the power to forgive people that have done the unforgivable. I've given you power to love on people who still might have their biggest mistake and their biggest sin in front of them, not behind them. I've given you the power to no longer make people pay for their past sins anymore, even people most important in your life. Just like Matthew, it's gotta be your honor to wash their feet. Because eventually you restore dignity enough, eventually that grace, that dignity gives deep enough into their DNA that they really start to believe that they are who God says they are. And once that happens, you go from being a taker to a giver, and it's a beautiful thing. Because Jesus said in the book of Acts, it's more blessed to give than receive. Listen, he didn't say receiving's bad, receiving's awesome. I guarantee those disciples were going, it was awesome when he washed our feet. But it wasn't as awesome, Peter would have said, when I went to the cross in 67 AD and said, crucify me upside down, because that was the full expression and manifestation of the grace that had gotten so deep in me. I was so appreciative of the, the gift that Jesus gave me on the cross. I was literally willing to go to a cross myself in his name. That's a free man right there. That's freedom when you don't 
have to win in the earth's context and you don't have to be the best in the earth's context. Real freedom is, man, when you say, God, put a towel in my hand and put people with dirty feet in my path. And it will be my honor to get down and take the nature of a servant and humble myself and obediently begin to speak life over them and kindness over them and generosity over them. Man, if we can be that type of people, the church will make an incredible difference in this world. Do you guys believe that? Amen. Let's pray. At every campus, go ahead and stand up. We're about to worship. I want to pray uh, this through. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that you give us this template and this picture of what real freedom looks like. And I thank you, God, that you call us sons and daughters and you call us your children and you give us some undeserved authority and power through your Holy Spirit to act like you act and to walk like you walked and to talk like you talked and to treat people with the radical love that you treated people with. God, we wanna be those type of people, but we're still broken, we're still flawed. We still have doubts, we still have cynicism, we still have skepticism, we still have sin that's constantly crouching at our door, trying to get the best of us, God. We all walk in here with different pressures and stressors and stories, but God, we're asking for an infusion right now of grace so that we can give it to other people. God, for every person that's thinking in broken ways about your love for them right now, I pray through this worship experience that you would restore back to them the truth of who they are. That, you're, that they're your child, that you love them, that you call them beloved, that your banner over them, your statement over them, your song over them is love that you sing and rejoice over every single person that's at our campuses right now. God, I pray that by the time we walk out of our respective campuses, we would feel like sons and daughters of the King again, because that's what you call us. I pray that everybody that walked into one of our campuses that does not feel dignity over themselves right now, God, I pray that you would let them feel dignified again. I pray that you would let them feel whole again. I pray that you would let them feel healthy again. Lighten our souls and lighten our feet, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.